At this time, 10 years ago, I sat at home watching television. It wasn't cartoons. It wasn't the shopping network. I was watching the news. Couldn't take my eyes off of it. Started out as a beautiful day. It ended up changing the world. It began with reports of a small private plane that had somehow gone off course, crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. We knew by the end of the day, we knew, to be honest, very shortly afterwards that that wasn't the case. A passenger plane loaded with both people and fuel, driven by a zealous, earnest, and utterly misguided man was flown intentionally into the World Trade Center Tower as a message. By the end of that day, there was another plane into the second tower plane into the Pentagon and a downed plane in the field in Pennsylvania was downed because of brave passengers who realizing what was going on did not want another plane killing others in Washington, New York or wherever it might have been going. I watched as the towers fell as this dust from the cement and body and bone plowed through the streets of New York. I watched as the president had the message whispered in his ear and had to choose to remain calm in the face of what was most certainly a terrorist attack. Since that day 10 years ago, everything has changed. Our sense of security as a people, that we lived somehow in a protective bubble, that what happened in the Middle East, what happened in Europe couldn't happen here, that illusion was stripped away. And over 3,000 were dead in the process. And any time you fly, you're reminded of it. Today on this, the 10th anniversary of that solemn day, we pause to remember those who, those who died, to reflect on the countless lives that were lost and families that were decimated. We also know that our perception of the world has changed. Our perception of America has changed. And we hope, we hope that the people in charge have learned lessons things that they can apply that would keep something like that from ever happening again here. But this morning, I want to take it a level deeper. I'm not dealing with the security measures that, that might need to be in an airport or in a city, but dealing with the soul. Because I believe from 9-11 there are lessons that you and I as people here and now can learn, should learn, must learn as we move forward from here. And so I'd like to share those lessons. Among the many, 
I've narrowed it down to three that I think are essential. The first lesson is this. Life is fragile. Life is fragile. Death has been called the great equalizer. And it's true. Death comes to all of us regardless of what race we are. It, It does not discriminate based on age or religion. It doesn't really care whether you're rich or you're poor. We all face a date, a destiny, a time where that's it. The heart stops. The brain functions cease. And, and it's not a mystery. We, we know it's coming. I mean, even that great philosopher Bugs Bunny said, don't take life too seriously. Nobody ever makes it out alive anyway. We know it's coming. But for the vast majority of us, it is still unexpected. We never anticipate it. Which of those passengers, other than the hijackers themselves, who boarded those planes on that sunny September morning, thought to themselves, today I'm going to die? Which of those servicemen and women or civilians who checked in for their daily duties at the Pentagon, thought, this is a day I die. Which of those parents who checked their children in at the preschool in the World's Trade Center Towers thought, this is a day my little girl, my little boy dies. Only the hijackers thought that way. But we know, we know our number could come up at any time. We know that life is indeed fragile. We just don't know the timing of it. And we don't just know this because of what happened on September 11, 2001. We know it because God told us in advance. In Psalm 39, the psalmist writes, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days... Let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. That's basically the the distance as you were doing a measurement, uh, the distance between the fingers. That's it. The span of my years is, is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. One of the things that we need to live knowing is how fragile life is. We've recently been reminded of this on some near, near fatal things that happened. We know that Jenny Bilbo was recently in a car accident. She survived it, but who knows? We know that Kurt Ming recently had a heart attack. He survived it, doing great. But you just don't. No. Let us remember this lesson that is taught to us by both God and life. Life is fragile. Lesson number two. Evil is real. Again, something we know is true. (laughs) We know evil is out there. We see examples of it all the time 
But sometimes it takes an extreme event like that one that happened 10 years ago to show us just how real evil is. Driven by a false religion and a false prophet, false promises of a paradise with 72 virgins, 19 hijackers devoted, zealous, and woefully misguided, violently took the lives of Christians and Jews and agnostics and atheists and Hindus and skeptics and even other Muslims. Their zeal, their zeal, their burning passion was for the glory of their God. But the truth of the matter is, the plot was birthed not simply in the caves of Afghanistan, but in the pits of hell. Real evil. Now, we live in a fallen world. We know this. Ever since Adam and Eve fell The Bible says that all creation fell at that time. And so our world is, is constantly subject to earthquakes and hurricanes and volcanoes and tsunamis and all kinds of things that we call natural disasters. These things all came apart because of the fall of creation. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about evil, real moral evil. And beyond, we want to go beyond just the physical acts of evil. We see people do evil things. We've we've done some evil things ourselves. But beyond these physical acts of evil, there's a reality, a spiritual reality of evil. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Folks, we need to understand we have a battle, but there's something behind the curtain. The Wizard of Oz. You hear the wizard after he's exposed say, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I'm here to tell you this morning, pay attention to the man behind the curtain. The evil that we see portrayed in our streets, the evil that we see portrayed in our homes, the evil that we see permeating this world has an origin. There's a spiritual reality of evil. There are forces unseen that are working. And folks... That lesson that was driven so deeply into our hearts and our minds 10 years ago, we can't forget But because, because behind this spiritual evil, there is a face of evil. Peter reminds us, discipline yourselves and keep alert. Pay attention. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. There is a real Satan 
I know that people will tell you Satan's not real, it's the devil, it's just a myth. I'm here to tell you, if you take the Bible seriously and you read it, accepting its truth and allowing its truth to shape your reality, you will walk away like I have saying, not only is evil real, not only are there spiritual forces of evil, but there is a Satan, there is a devil, an adversary who is constantly on the prowl. And we don't have to guess what he's up to. I gotta, he is, he's up to the same stuff he's always been up to. Ever since we find the serpent in the garden, Satan's role is to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the thief that comes to do those things. He is the father of lies and the great deceiver. He is our adversary, the one who is opposed to us. He is our enemy. We need to understand that. Not only is life fragile, but evil is real, and it has a face. And this is what God says. He says, he he doesn't say run from it. He says resist him. Steadfast in your faith. Resist him. Stand. Don't run. Stand. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Stand. Don't run. Two truths. Life is fragile. Evil is real. Third truth. God is eternal. We've been singing about it all morning. The question is, do we believe it? God is eternal. We understand that our lives are but a breath. The number of our days, they pass quickly. We're born. We live. We endure. (laughs) Oh, wow, do we have to endure many things face so much evil, and then we die. That's part of the human equation. Al Mohler, who's president of Southern Seminary in Louisville and a a brilliant scholar, Al Mohler wrote these words. For the atheist, evil is no great problem. Life is a cosmic accident. Morality is an arbitrary game by which we order our lives, and meaning is non-existent. As Oxford University's professor Richard Dawkins, who is an avowed and evangelical atheist, if you can use that kind of term, I mean, he's out there promoting it and calling other people to follow it. So as we understand evangelical, that he's preaching it. This Richard Dawkins explains human life is nothing more than a way for selfish genes to multiply and reproduce. There is no meaning or dignity to humanity. You read that, and you wonder, how can atheists get up in the morning? I mean, is this it? Survival of the selfish? This life has no meaning, no purpose. There's no dignity to humanity anymore. But you and I, we cling to a truth. There is more to life than living, enduring, and dying. We have a God, a God who is firmly seated on heaven's throne. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is firmly seated on the throne in your heart. This God is not some fantasy that was created to help get children through a dark, scary night. 
He is a God who's actually revealed himself to us. He does so in creation. As we see the starry skies, as we feel the cool breeze, and you can feel one now, by the way, can't you? As you see both the beauty and the power of nature, it's God's calling card. It's as if he leaves you a note saying, here I am. But he doesn't stop just revealing himself in creation. He goes beyond that because he knows we're dense and we may not figure out whose calling card it is. And so he's revealed himself by spirit to our hearts. He's revealed himself through words spoken by, by prophets, by words that, that we have. He reveals himself to us here. And he is boldly and completely spoken to us through his son. He's revealed to us not only that he's here, but who he is and what he wants. He is not the cure for the boogeyman, but he is the cure for our sin, for our fear. We know that life is fragile. But do we know that there's also a God who's eternal? No, we we can't touch him. We, we, We can't see him. But we know he's there. How do we know? Because God has tucked something away inside those of us who are created in his image. The writer of Ecclesiastes put it this way. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. Somehow we know. We know when we go out and we look up at the stars. We know when we go out and we feel the breeze. We know when we walk barefooted across the grass. Somehow we know there's got to be more than this. I mean, this is all great and everything, but I never know when it's going to end. Quite frankly, no matter how much control I try to exert, I don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. Will there be another plane into another building or a suicide bomber in the streets of Atlanta? I don't know it. I can't control it. And then you bring it home. Let's take away those terroristic kinds of things. Who expects your truck to break down? There it goes. Who expects that flat tire on the way to a job interview? Who expects to wake up with 102 fever when you've got an important meeting at the office? Who expects that diagnosis of cancer? See, in the midst of all that, we could, if we take Richard Dawkins' view, we could just live our lives buried in the sheets in the bed, just refusing to face the world because it's all going to hell in a handbasket anyway. But we get up, 
not because we're programmed in our genes to get up. We get up and we go on because we know. We know there's something more. Every religion has an eternity. They may not know exactly what it looks like. They may not know exactly where it is. They may not know exactly how to get there. But they know there's something. God's placed it in our spiritual DNA, being created in the image of God, that there was something, something, something more and something eternal. Folks, we know life is brief. We know it's fragile. We know it's short. And when we think about that, quite frankly, it gets a little scary. We also know evil is real. When we think about that, well, it can kind of rock our world. But knowing that there is an eternal God, and beyond that, knowing that eternal God, well, it calms our fears. And it eases that anxiety. If you've got your Bibles, would you, would you turn to Psalm chapter 90? And the reason I'm going to ask you to turn there is because there are times where you are overwhelmed by fear and times where you are oppressed by anxiety. And you go, where do I go? What, to what do I look and some of you just kind of go fling your bible open and see where it falls and you know sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't uh, the good here, here's the good thing about it you're, at least you're reading scripture when you do that but psalm chapter 90 lord you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born Or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You turn men back to dust saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. See, we need not fear death nor run in the face of evil. We have an eternal God to whom we can cling, a dwelling place, a refuge, a stronghold that will not be shaken. And I want to stand and declare to you today the same words that were spoken by a great Baptist preacher from many, many years ago named Charles Spurgeon. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. Even if I don't understand it, I'm holding on to God. He is my refuge, my fortress, my rock, my foundation. He is that which cannot be shaken. And it is him that I will hold to. The question I have for you this morning is, is that the kind of God you have? Do you have a God that can dispel your fears? Do you have a God who can overcome evil? Do you have a God to whom you can turn when the whole world's falling apart? If not, I want to tell you, 
He exists. And furthermore, He's here today. God is here now. And He's calling to you. He's calling you to quit trying to hold the world together with bubble gum and scotch tape. He knows. He knows and he's here and he's ready to meet your deepest needs. Not everything you want, but your deepest needs. For some of you, for some of you, He's here today to meet your need of peace in the midst of fear. It may not be fear of death. It may be fear of the future. He's here to meet that need today. For some of you, He's here to meet a need in your life of power and strength to overcome. I was sharing this morning in the jail with three ladies whom I was later to baptize this morning. So we got off to a rousing start. Uh, Good news happened behind bars. But I was telling the ladies about this decision they were making and what was going to happen when they got out. You know, you would think that being in jail is the worst place you can be, but it's not for everybody, I promise you. When they got out, what then? And I I remind them of I, when we used to, we used to go to the coast quite a bit. We'd go to Nags Head. My favorite place to go was Ocracoke Island. Love Ocracoke Island. And we'd get a, a cottage and share it with another family on the sound side of Ocracoke. And while the, the big boys were out deep sea fishing, the rest of us had chicken necks down by the dock trying to get some crabs. So we were trying to get our own supper and the only way we could do it. And so we'd go out there and we'd go crabbing and we'd have a big five-gallon bucket. And when we'd get them up... Uh, we'd get them off that, uh, we'd finally get them off the, the chicken neck or whatever they had a hold of and get them in the bucket. Well, when you had three or four, it was no big deal. But then you started adding to that. It got to be an interesting ordeal in the bucket because they didn't want to be there. They wanted to be out. And so they continued to try to climb out of the bucket. But the other crab next to this one had the same idea. I want to get out too. And you're higher than I am, so I'm going to grab you and pull you back down. And that's what you see. It's a constant dance among the crabs to try to make it to the top of the bucket while all the other crabs are trying to pull them back in. That, my friends, is what those ladies face when they get out. And sadly, it's what you face in your life, too. You have an ambition to be more like Christ. And you have a world that wants to pull you back to the bottom of the bucket. I'm here to tell you, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world or in the bucket. Some of you are here this morning because that's what God had for you. For some, it's a calming of fears. For others, it's a reminder of the strength and the power that is yours in Christ. And for some of you, You're here this morning because God brought you here to encounter him through his son, Jesus Christ. Because you live in fear of hell.
You have no security that when this life is done, that you go to be with the Father in heaven. And you've tried, oh, you have tried to live right, but it doesn't always work out. You've tried to do all the right things and put all the pieces together yourself, but it just doesn't seem to happen. I'm here to tell you, you are broken beyond repair. That's probably not what you wanted to hear. And that's not what the self-help gurus will tell you. But I'm here to tell you, you're broken beyond repair. You do not need crazy glue and duct tape. You need a Savior. A Savior who will make you new. Jesus went to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. If you want to get in the kingdom, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, thinking, okay, hadn't heard this before. Jesus, could you, could you come with me to my mother and tell her that I need to get back in the womb and out again? Is that what you're talking about? Because if you, I don't think she's going to go for it. Jesus said, no, no, no. You need to be born of water. You already got that part. You've been born of water and of the Spirit. It's a spiritual birth, a new birth, a new beginning. That's what you need. And that's what all of us need. And that's what many of us have found. And that's what some are looking for. And if that's what you're looking for today, I'm here to tell you God is here to meet you in this point, in this place, on this anniversary that remembers death. I'm here to tell you God's ready to bring life to you. And he'll do it in Jesus Christ.